Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and uh, we're live from Tucson, Arizona, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and in studio with me on this very happy Monday, kind of, I guess, maybe. <laughs> sobering, anyway. It's sobering Monday. It's yeah. One, yeah. Pastor yeah. Scott Richards. Yeah, great to be Thank here. Thank you for taking the time on no your words. day off to come down here to the studio and serve and uh, give us your insights. And well, not really a day off. Mondays, we are always here to uh, keep you all up to date on the latest uh, going on to answer your questions on the Bible. Uh, too much fun to uh, pass on a day uh, when we get a chance to share God's Word. <laughs> all right. Well, as you uh, may know, for those of you who have been tuning in for some time, this is A Reason for Hope, a weekday Bible answer program where we take your questions from our live streaming audience. <clears throat> we take questions um, right on our live streaming platforms about the Bible, the Christian worldview, um, whether uh, faith is reasonable, and, and so much more. So if you do have a question that's on your heart, a sincere one, even if you're a skeptic, we would really encourage you to come and listen to the live stream. There are multiple ways you can engage with us. You can join us on Facebook. We live stream, like I said, uh, every weekday. Uh, that's 5 p.m. Uh, Mountain Standard Time. So if you want to join us on Facebook, you can go search for us, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you can engage with us there. We also simultaneously live stream to YouTube. So if you want to do a search for us on YouTube, it's A Reason for Hope and uh, you'll see a little uh, red icon with a white dove and you'll know that's us. <clears throat> and uh, if you prefer to perhaps uh, listen in somewhere else, uh, you can go to our website. If you're maybe a little anti-social media, like some people I know are, they just prefer not to have a Facebook account or um, don't want to have a Google account to access uh, content on YouTube, <clears throat> and, or just want to avoid it altogether, you can also go to our website. That's CalvaryChristianFellowship.com and there you can not only check out the live stream but if you go to the watch live tab uh, you can leave a question a little questions or comments box and there's a little button for prayer so if you want to make a prayer request you can do that as well we would encourage you to do that so, uh, and if you want to look at our archives we also um, are storing our content on rumble so if you missed a program you want to go to rumble uh, if you want to just sort of hoorah for them, you can go to Rumble and see all of our Reason for Hope broadcasts, and they're titled by the top three questions of that episode. So it's very easy to navigate through and look through questions that you might already have, uh, and we've already answered. So you can go there and do that. <clears throat> also, uh, we have an app. I encourage you to check that out. If you go to uh, the Google or Apple Play Store and search for Calvary Christian Fellowship Tucson, you can download our app where you can live stream not only this broadcast, but all of our services. We have a Wednesday evening Oasis service where we're currently going through the book of Ezekiel. And our Sunday morning services, we do three services every Sunday morning, and we are currently going through the book of Acts. We are a church that teaches book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so you get the whole counsel of God's word. And you can follow along uh, with a nifty little digital Bible that's also in the app. You can look at current events, calendar, create chat groups, so much more. So if you're part of our community, even if you pop in every now and then, I'd encourage you to download the app. Now, if you want to ask a question on this broadcast and you want to do so maybe a little bit more discreetly, you can go the old-fashioned way and just email us. That's questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all letters, no numbers, at gmail.com. also encourage you to follow our senior pastor on Twitter, formerly Twitter, and you can do so at scott r4h that is his twitter handle at scott r4h you can leave questions there 
read prophecy updates, and also some very informative and entertaining uh, posts I, I enjoy following Scott there, so I'd encourage you to do the same. <clears throat> With that being said, before we uh, typically start taking questions, we'd like to take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to guide our thoughts, to guide our answers, so we're going to do that now. Yeah, let's do that. Father, I thank you that we can invite you to be uh, the unseen person here under our broadcast today. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for reassuring us over and over again that you, the timeless and ageless one, the one who sees the end from the beginning, working all things out according to the awesome counsel of your perfect will, are also in charge of all of the crazy things that are going on uh, in this world today. Thank you, Lord, that we can find a strength in you, a stability mm. in knowing your word and, and a real perspective and a, a real uh, shot in the arm, encouraging us to make the most of these days uh, because the times are, <laughs> are indeed evil. But we thank you, Lord, that we also know that uh, our time is not unlimited. The, the day of Jesus' return is nearer now than when we first believed. So allow us, Lord, to come away from this time of questions and answers and prophecy updates with a more full, more strong, more settled confidence in you as you've revealed yourself in your divinely inspired word. Thank you for guiding us into all truth. Uh, give us wisdom and insight as we explore it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I imagine there's so much to share on the news side of things on how it relates to Bible prophecy. <laughs> well, well, I'm I'm here to tell you something. Uh, just when you think things can't get any more bizarre, uh, this is just one of the most significant uh, birth pain times I think I've ever experienced in my Christian life. Uh, we founded. Uh, this broadcast on 9-11. Uh, we came on the air because we thought people are going to have massive questions about what happened on that day. And uh, one thing leading to another, we, this broadcast has morphed into uh, a Monday through Friday uh, get-together. Uh, we've uh, we really had a large radio outreach at one point. Now we found find we reached just as many or more people through the internet. So, so here we are. But uh, boy, starting on 9-11, uh, the 20-some years that have gone on since then, uh, I have never seen uh, the world in a more chaotic, more confused set of circumstances from a worldly point of view, but uh, also an, an incredibly interesting uh, series of events that are happening that definitely and decidedly have prophetic overtones. Mm. Uh, we did a major prophecy update uh, yesterday at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to uh, look at it online, it's available uh, at calvarychristianfellowship.com. You can also look it up on our YouTube site. Uh, and uh, we talk uh, a bit about a uh, psalm that was written almost 3,000 years ago mm. that certainly does give us insights into the enemies of Israel, how the enemies of Israel might attack, and, and uh, the spiritual condition of Israel. Uh, psalm 83 tells us that uh, Israel is going to be supernaturally delivered by God when they were in a spiritual condition much like the time of the judges. And, and I want to tell you something. The time of the judges was not a high watermark for the people of Israel. Uh, the last line of the book of Judges says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, there was no king in Israel. So real good descriptor of where the average uh, Jewish person is, not uh, what I would call on fire spiritually. Uh, but uh, boy, uh, that Psalm 83 talks about how God delivered the people of Israel in similar spiritual doldrums, if you will. 
uh, back in the time of the judges and appears uh, to be set to do similar things. Uh, the, the main message that we got across to people um, at uh, the study is that we're seeing a lot of the pieces of Psalm 83 come uh, into position. A 10-nation uh, people group confederacy attacking Israel literally in a semicircle, a crescent, if you will, <laughs> pardon that expression, uh, all around Israel. Uh, the one big piece of the puzzle still lacking would be Jordan getting involved with this battle. But uh, who knows how things can change? Uh, you know, again, uh, we see uh, Turkey now saber-rattling as far as uh, wanting to get involved with all of this if Israel goes in uh, with ground forces in Gaza. As you know, Iran uh, has said that they will turn their uh, proxy, Hezbollah, uh, in Lebanon loose to attack Israel if Israel goes in on ground forces and, and the countdown's happening there. But uh, the main thing that we wanted to emphasize in that prophecy update is that when it's all said and done, God is going to deliver the people of Israel in such a way hmm. that even this uh, 10 uh, tribal people group confederacy that had in one thing in mind to wipe out Israel, that their name would be remembered no more, hmm. uh, they're going to know who the true and living God is. Uh, there's going to be like a massive turning to God as a result of all of that. And wow. so, uh, you know, we're really uh, praying not just for the peace of Jerusalem, but also that God would use this time to do a real breakthrough in the hearts and minds of uh, Muslim people all over the world. Uh, such a thing is already happening. You know, we talked uh, uh, about a very significant quote uh, from uh, Joel Rosenberg's book, Epicenter, where he talked about an, Isla an Islamic cleric in Egypt uh, just beside himself on Egyptian television because he said that uh, by their understanding over 600 Muslims in South Sub-Saharan Africa uh, were turning to Christ every day. Wow. So mm. God's doing a work among the Muslim people and perhaps this is going to be uh, the culmination of all that. But uh, the one thing that we really want to emphasize to you guys is this, God wins. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, the kingdom of God's in the balance here or we don't know how all these things are going to ultimately turn out. The Lord is is going to win, and Jesus is going to rule. And uh, so if we understand that, we understand that God has uh, foreseen these times, we can look at prophecy not as a kind of a ooky-spooky or uh, excuse to play chicken little and run around saying the sky is falling. Uh, we can really have strength and stability there. And one thing uh, before we get to some of the significant issues and, and events that have happened today is, is just to remind you, when uh, there's a time when the Lord is speaking uh, and showing us really, really clearly some things foretold in his word, uh, that biblical information is always going to be met with unbiblical disinformation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we're starting to see is the usual suspects who uh, always have a book to sell or some you know DVD set to sell you or, or for a donation you can get their insights are saying all kinds of things, uh, taking their stand on visions that they've had or dreams that they've had or that the Lord has showed them something, or even just ripping some passages uh, really radically out of context and mm -hmm. saying, oh, nobody has really seen this, but did you know that Gaza was mentioned in the Bible? And well, it was, but it was the destruction of the Philistines as mm -hmm. described in the book of Amos. Uh, nothing to do with what's going on here, but uh, you know, why let that get in the way of, um, you know, a good money-making scheme? So be a, uh, a critical spiritual consumer. And I, I'm saying I have a critical spirit, 
But don't set aside your critical thinking faculties when someone comes to you and says, oh, yeah, here's the latest and greatest, and nobody's ever seen this before, and, and oh, we've got this prophet who uh, the Lord has been giving revelation to about these things. Uh, be very, very, very skeptical about this. Mm-hmm. The, the one exhortation I want to give to you all that we really need to keep in our spiritual tool belt is First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. It says, do not quench the spirit. Uh, do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Now, we don't want to quench the Spirit of God. You know, we want to be right on the edge of what the Lord is doing. We want to be filled with God's Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, not to walk in fear, but in faith. Uh, we, we want to be open to the possibilities that the Lord, through spiritual gifts, can give us wisdom and insight. But if He ever does understand something, uh, we are not to despise prophecies but to test all things. How do we test them? Through the unchanging Word of God. If the Holy Spirit's speaking, He will always speak in complete and total hand-in-glove harmony with His divinely inspired Word, the Bible. So someone says, this isn't in the Bible. You need my revelation as well. Uh, You know, I find that people come to you with a Bible plus are usually selling you a Bible minus, really. Uh, So be very, very careful about these things and uh, check things out for yourself. Even on this program, just because we uh, will tell you about certain events and uh, offer you some biblical analysis on it, um, you know, the Lord someday isn't going to ask you what uh, Adrian and I thought about the Word of God. He's going to ask you what you did with His Word. So uh, be a, a good steward of the, the priceless gift that we have mm-hmm. of God's inspired Word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And, and, and boy, who couldn't use a, a light and a lamp uh, when things get really dark and uh, smoky and kind of obscure. Now, having said all of that, talk <laughs> about uh, interesting things. Right before airtime, uh, the Sky News Service uh, broke a story uh, that uh, could have pretty far-reaching implications geopolitically. Obviously, it will, uh, but uh, also in terms of what's going on uh, in Israel. One of the things that we know is that Russia is going to have a major role to play in a last day's invasion of Israel, the Gog and Magog war. We take the position that this is going to happen during the tribulation period because Israel is going to have their defenses down. <laughs> Say what you want about Israel, uh, but their defenses aren't down right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be supernaturally destroyed, and Israel is never going to wander from God ever again. There's going to be a mass conversion of, of people in Israel. We don't believe that's going to ha- that's happened yet. We believe that Israel will uh, at the tri- start of the tribulation period uh, enter into a seven-year covenant with the Antichrist as Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26 and following describes. So, you know, we, we look at Russia as having a role definitely behind the scenes. Turkey is also one of the nations that is seen as having a role. Iran is seen as a nation that is going to have a role in the last days. And so when we take a look at these nations and what's going on with them, uh, you know, very significant stuff. Well, I can't think of anything more significant than that Sky News ran a story that uh, someone found uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin uh, unconscious in his bedroom, flat out on the floor. He's had a massive heart attack. We do not know what his current condition is, whether he's going to survive this heart attack or not. But, uh, boy, you want to talk about uh, an event that is going to definitely 
uh, stir the drink geopolitically, not only with what's going on with Ukraine, uh, what could potentially be happening with Israel, what role Russia is going to play in all of this. One of the things that never really gets mentioned too much in these discussions is that Russia has major uh, infrastructure in the nation of Syria right now and uh, also in Lebanon. They have a deep water port at the, uh, the uh, Syrian port of Tartarus they've taken over. They also have a major military base on Syrian soil in that neck of the woods. And as such, they offer uh, support to uh, the regime of uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria. Uh, they also offer logistical uh, support uh, against Israel. Israel and Russia kind of playing footsie a little bit, try to stay out of each other's way in these circumstances. But they're definitely there, and they're definitely a player. Uh, the, the big question that comes up, okay, what's going to happen as a result of all this? Well, A, we don't know if uh, Putin is going to recover from this uh, this cardiac issue. Uh, if he does, uh, well, then we really are not sure of the implications there. But uh, the other side is, what if he doesn't? You know, who's going to take his place? And uh, when you start to ask questions like that, it's kind of like the old uh, saw, better the devil you know. Uh, Vladimir Putin is nobody's idea of a man of peace. He's a very brutal individual, thoroughgoing former head of the KGB, uh, definitely knows how to bust heads, uh, as we've seen in the Ukraine conflict. But uh, who knows what kind of an individual would be next in line if Putin isn't able to be uh, the head honcho in Russia any longer. So definitely a, a, an event to keep our eyes on. Uh, other things uh, going on uh, right before air, uh, word got out that Hamas is uh, looking at releasing 50 foreign passport holding hostages out of the 210 that they hold. Now, no Israelis are going to be released in all of this. Uh, a couple of Israeli women were released earlier. And this tells me something. This tells me that Hamas is starting to realize they may have overplayed their hand in this set of circumstances. Uh, our good friend and uh, uh, prophecy commentator Amir Safadi of Behold Israel uh, offers the theory that Hamas, a wholly owned subsidiary of uh, the Mad Mullahs in Iran, they're the ones who fund them, they're the ones who arm them, uh, they're the ones who give them the orders. But uh, the interesting thing is Hamas tends to be a Sunni Muslim group and the Mad Mullahs in Iran are a Shiite Muslim group. Now, you know, the, the old saw that you've heard from the Middle East, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, uh, definitely comes into play when the situation with Israel comes up. Uh, they both agree that they can put aside their differences for a time as long as they're going after what's known as the little Satan down there. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the interesting thing that, uh, that uh, Amir suggests is that uh, one of the things that might have screwed up this whole operation was that Iran was putting the chess pieces in place in such a way that there would be a simultaneous attack on Israel, not just from Gaza uh, with Hamas and Islamic Jihad, uh, not uh, just from uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, but also from Syria. It would be a coordinated uh, three-front war that Israel would enter into uh, and maybe even get the uh, Palestinian Authority and an intifada, sort of a terroristic uprising going on at the same time. 
But uh, his theory is that Hamas jumped the gun, uh, that they said, no, we want the glory for all of this, and that they were convinced that if they did enough damage and committed enough atrocities, Israel, because of the incredible division that was being shown in Israel, the incredible weakness of Israel. And remember, before all this happened, there were huge demonstrations in the, tr the streets, uh, anti-Netanyahu government uh, demonstrations about uh, the judicial reform issues that we've told you about on the program. Guess what? Those are off the table now. Ended immediately. Ended immediately. Nobody cares about that anymore in Israel at this particular time. Mm. Uh, after October 7th, uh, you know, Israel became a different country in a sense. Uh, so many of the things that uh, that were dividing them have just been completely put aside because literally their lives are on the line. You've got uh, almost 400,000 mobilized uh, Israeli soldiers wow. now. And according to Amir, uh, we've told you about 300,000 being in the area around Gaza. Apparently that's not quite accurate. Looks like there's around 200,000 near Gaza. They've put another 100,000 uh, near the Palestinian territories. They have another uh, 100,000 that are up in northern Israel because uh, there is a uh, tit-for-tat war going on with Hezbollah already there. Hezbollah attempting to launch uh, anti-tank weapons, uh, you know, uh, these kind of sophisticated missiles that they possess. Uh, Israel, by the way, has completely evacuated uh, the area we know as the Golan Heights now. Uh, wow. the, the uh, towns and cities up there are completely evacuated so that uh, the military can uh, do that thing they do up there unimpeded. And uh, any kind of short-range weapons that will be launched into these towns and cities in the Golan uh, are going to hit buildings, but they're not going to be able to uh, you know, take out any casualties because everybody's gone, they're like mm -hmm. ghost towns. Same thing is true. Uh, about Gaza, the area around Gaza right now. Uh, you know, again, cities like Sederot and others are just completely and totally evacuated. So, uh, you know, definitely we see the stage being set up. But what Amir suggests is because the uh, Hamas uh, terrorists wanted to get the glory for the kill shot on Israel. They saw Israel as being divided. They saw Israel as being weak. They thought if they could really just amp up the terroristic behavior, and you wonder why they were so gross and so graphic and so uh, just evil in terms of the things that they did. Uh, and by the way, um, if you've got the stomach for it, good on you. Um, I took a look at a couple of these things. The IDF came out and called a press conference with all the foreign press that's covering the Gaza war and showed them unedited footage of what these terrorists did mm. uh, to the 1,300 some people, uh, 1,400 almost, uh, that died. And I'm not even going to describe it to you. It is stuff that would make Hitler blush. Mm. And, uh, you know, even, <clears throat> you know, reporters from the New York Times, hardly friends of Israel in terms of their coverage, came away shaking their heads saying, you know, we've just never seen anything like this. You know, it, it, it had the same emotional heft that uh, we, we would see in reports of, uh, say, U.S. soldiers that liberated the death camps mm -hmm. and were just absolutely aghast at it. One friend of mine whose father was a part of the group that uh, liberated uh, Dachau, 
uh, said that one of the uh, troops in his battalion began shooting unarmed German prison guards who were trying to uh, surrender because they would they just saw Jewish bodies stacked up like cordwood. Uh, it was just that 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 hor- horrific sort of mm-hmm. situation. Well, these videos, and you can if you've got the stomach for it, you can watch it. But uh, you know we, we we see this. Why would they do? such atrocities you know why would they you know for instance eviscerate a pregnant woman and then behead uh her child even before the woman died right right in front why would you do something like that and that, that's just a sample by the way uh well it was to in, in their minds and their way of thinking cause israel to commit suicide as a nation just say it's not worth it uh we we, we just can't stand against this any longer we're out hmm. but in reality, the opposite happened. Hmm. It just galvanized Israel coming together uh, as as one entity. And uh, you know, the the question comes up again: Why hasn't the land war in Gaza began? Begun? Well, perhaps uh, the most uh, direct answer to that particular question was uh, Hamas talking about releasing fifty foreign passport holders. Uh, they're giving time to try to get as many people out as possible. Uh, you know, our Delta uh, Force and uh, Navy SEAL teams, along with uh, uh, special forces from the, the IDF as well as the Mossad, uh, are on missions inside Gaza City to uh, try to find where they're keeping these hostages and liberate as many of them as possible before the ground war actually begins. Now, that's tough because Gaza... Uh, is uh, literally got an underground city built underneath it. Uh, they call it the Gaza Metro. That's the nickname that uh, Hamas gives to this thing because they have concrete reinforced underground bunkers and tunnels uh, that are literally honeycombed under Gaza City where they can hide hostages, where they can hide their munitions, where they can hide Gaza fighters. Uh, according to Amir Safadi, they believe that some 40,000 Gaza terrorist uh, insurgents are hiding in these tunnels even as we speak. Well, that's the bad news, but here's the good news. Uh, Israel now has uh, reinforced their bombing runs with bunker-busting weapons, uh, the, the deep-penetrating bombs uh, that can uh, you know, basically even go through these concrete-reinforced underground facilities and blow them to bits. Uh, the idea of trying to get as many hostages out as you possibly can before you begin to flatten that infrastructure, before you send your troops in, um, that might be what we're waiting on mm-hmm. at this particular point. The other interesting thing, as far as what we're waiting on, is uh, we've told you about the United States and our potential involvement in all of this. Well, a uh, pretty interesting visit happened over the weekend uh, with a delegation of United States Senators. Ten United States Senators, uh, along with uh, Lindsey Graham, met with uh, the Israeli government over the weekend, uh, fresh from, this is uh, from Joel Rosenberg's All Israel News Service. He said, fresh from visiting Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in the Saudi capital Riyadh, Lindsey Graham, the senator, vowed the war would come directly to the territory of Iran if the Grand Ayatollah and Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei authorizes the Hezbollah terror force in Lebanon to launch a full-blown attack on Israel. 
The South Carolina Republicans said that Iran has unleashed holy hell on Israel through its terror proxy Hamas. But Graham made it clear that he would do everything in his power to rally the American government and the people to make sure the Iranian regime fails in its mission of obliterating Israel and blowing up the prospects of an Israeli-Saudi peace deal. He was unequivocal. He said this means unleashing military force on the Iranian regime. This wasn't an idle threat. He wasn't freelancing. Uh, According to uh, Joel Rosenberg's article, standing together on the stage of the U.S. consulate in Tel Aviv on Sunday afternoon, a bipartisan delegation of 10 U.S. senators, five Republicans and five Democrats, speaking as one, we are here today to give Israel what they need to do the job of destroying the modern-day version of Nazis, Hamas, Graham vowed. We're here today to tell Iran we're watching you. If this war grows, it's coming to your backyard. There won't be two fronts. There will be three. If there's an effort to unleash Hezbollah on the Jewish state to destroy it, my attention will be to Tehran. If innocent hostages get slaughtered, I hold you, Iran, accountable because you could stop it if you chose to. The idea that this happened without Iranian involvement is laughable. 93% of their budget over decades and the training of the equipment are all coming from the Ayatollah. Now, uh, once again, uh, Joel Rosenberg says he's known Graham for years, but he's never heard him speak so bluntly about the U.S. and Israel going to war together against the mullahs in Iran as he did yesterday. Fueling his ire was the fact that Graham and his colleagues had just received detailed briefings about the worst of the atrocities like the ones we've discussed on the program, that Hamas had committed against innocent Jewish babies, children, families, and even Holocaust survivors. Uh, Graham said, I've seen grown men who've been fighting war all their lives, stunned by what they saw. The level of barbaric behavior here is beyond my ability to explain it. Well, uh, in light of Tehran's funding, arming, training, and directing Hamas's terrorism, and Hezbollah's, plus Iran's own nuclear bomb and missile development program, Netanyahu and his war cabinet are actively considering launching a massive military attack against Iran to, as they say, cut the head off the snake. Mm -hmm. Graham not only seemed to confirm that this was true, but may very well have been authorized to say publicly what Netanyahu and his colleagues are saying privately. Uh, You know, and there's a list given of uh, the senators uh, that uh, were there for this particular event. Well, lo and behold, on the other side of the coin, you know, when you, you look at this, you look at these Nazi-like atrocities that are going on here. You're like, who in the world could take the other side? Well, you'd be surprised. There have been massive demonstrations again today. Mm-hmm. Uh, one in Los Angeles, for sure, that I saw online. Others planned for New York, Chicago. Uh, London is supposed to have a massive <coughs> pro-Hamas Hundred thousand, not 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 Israel, but pro Hamas. There was there was a hundred thousand people that protested in London. Yeah, thousand in 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 favor of Hamas. Pro Hamas, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when you see that, okay, well, I could understand that. You know, if you're a doctrinaire Muslim, you know, you're kind of a terrorist yourself. You know, why not? You know, support the cause, man. (laughs) You know, but the the fascinating thing to me is there's now pushback against Israel coming from an unexpected source. I saw uh, before airtime Tucker Carlson uh, interviewing a uh, retired uh, U.S. colonel uh, that he's had on his program uh, a number of times, and uh, he had uh, his name is uh, Douglas McGregor, uh, and their article was, this is none of our business, we should stay out of it. If we attack Iran, 
They're going to close the Gulf of Hormuz, where all the oil goes through. It's going to be an economic disaster. Uh, who knows how many Hezbollah terrorists have already infiltrated the United States. We'll have attacks on our own homeland. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the whole thing can spin out of control if Iran is engaged. Uh, other allies of Iran, like Turkey, uh, and uh, their president Erdogan uh, have said that uh, if, uh, if Israel attacks Iran, they're going to get personally involved, which would be a very popular move for a guy like Erdogan to do. You've been in Turkey. You know kind of the general temperature of uh, the politics uh, over there. But uh, they also said that uh, Russia was not going to sit by and allow Israel to attack one of their great client states, that is Iran. Well, that was before the news came out about Vladimir Putin having a massive heart attack. Who knows how all that's going to play. But uh, listening to this, first of all, I was kind of shocked that someone would be sort of associated with the political right, which generally speaking has stood with Israel over all these years, is now kind of going into this duck and cover mode. None of our business. Uh, we want to stay out of all of this. Don't poke the bear. Mm. Uh, but, you know, the thing that uh, after hearing this and, you know, hearing this colonel who's obviously had more experience in wartime situations than I'll ever have. I mean, I understand that nobody wants war. But the thing that they don't understand and the thing they really didn't touch on was this. Every Friday in Iran, there is a mass rally that takes place in front of the palaces of the Grand Ayatollah. They conclude this rally by chanting for over an hour two slogans, death to the great Satan and death to the little Satan. The little Satan is Israel. You know who the great Satan is? The United States. <clears throat> We're standing there. <laughs> you know, so when I got done listening to that, uh, you know, my, my reaction was, well, you might not be interested in war with Iran, but war with Iran may very well be interested in you. If you think that you can buy these people off or appease them, a la Neville Chamberlain, before World War II, the, the Munich Pact, where he came back and says, I believe it's peace in our time. Three years later, the, the bombing of London was in full uh, swing. Uh, you know, peace in our time was a cruel joke. Appeasing, doctrinaire, fanatical, uh, death-loving individuals, generally speaking, has never worked. And if we think that we can somehow buy the Iranians off, or convince them that by like lifting sanctions and trying to coax them back into the family of nations. These are Shiite Muslims. They exist for one goal, to try to set the stage for the coming of the 12th Imam who will lead the forces of Shiite Islam to take over the entire world and have a global caliphate. That's why they exist. They don't exist to provide a living for their people. They don't exist to provide education. They don't right. exist to provide, uh, they exist because this is their prophetic mission, if you will. And they comprise, I think, less than 20% of the Muslim world. The Sunnis are the 80%, the majority. Right. But, but they hate each other. <laughs> but, and, and they hate each other. But uh, they believe that if the 12th Imam comes out of his seclusion, he's supposedly hiding in a well in the holy city of Qum, uh, he is going to uh, be all-powerful, that Isa, mm. the Muslim version of Jesus, is going to go before him doing miracles and routing the nations. 
but he will say that the 12th imam is even greater than he uh, and uh, this is how they live happily well I don't know about happily uh, I've never seen an ayatollah smile but uh, you know the, the ever after is what they're after so, you know, when I see these individuals who might have great military credentials, but are completely blind theologically, when you see a sharp commentator, very eloquent guy like Tucker Carlson offering his two cents worth, but seemingly oblivious to the, the, the real driving engine behind all of this, which is theology, which is their idea of God, their idea of the Quran, their idea of their holy duty uh, and uh, the honor-based culture that they belong to, that they would rather die than be dishonored, that uh, the only way that you can guarantee your place in Islamic heaven is to die in jihad. Well, you know, again, very, very uh, difficult to say, well, they're just going to leave us alone. You know, if, if we are just nice to them and, and supply them with money and, and all this, they, they, we, we read into them our own mindset because, let's face it, we in the West tend to think that if uh, we give each other money, then everybody's going to be happy. And that, you know, spiritual things are good, but, you know, it's the physical and the material mm -hmm. and the financial that really matters. Right. They flip-flop that. Mm -hmm. You know, the physical and the financial and material got to live with them but it's the spiritual that really matters and we when commentators don't understand that um i mean i get it who would want to go to war who would want to see a, an economic disaster like that uh you know they talked about the idea that you know if russia got involved it could start conventional and who knows where it would go especially if israel decided to use some of its nuclear weapons against say iranian uh, nuclear uh, facilities but consider the alternative if you don't you, you leave the Iranians to their own devices. Uh, you come up with a ceasefire after a butchery and a, uh, a level of, of atrocity that uh, is right up there with anything that happened in the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just say, well, okay, all's forgiven. You know, you, you guys can go back and do your thing. Can't do it. Mm -hmm. You simply can't do it. And the question that I asked on our Twitter feed is this, and you know, I, I don't have, uh, you know, the the hundred percent answer to all of this because, again, I'm a pastor. Geopolitics is is an interest of mine because of prophecy, mm -hmm. but certainly not an expert. But let me ask you this question: just you and our audience, you, Adrian, which would be easier to deal with Iran as currently constituted, a uh, very powerful military? you know, missile technology, you know, large army, or right now, or wait maybe two years until they are a nuclear power. Because I guarantee if they have nukes, they will not hesitate to use them, period. And they'll target civilians on purpose. Yeah, yeah, no, no hesitation about that whatsoever. So what do you do? You know, uh, again, we need to pray for wisdom, for leaders. Uh, we need to pray that, uh, like Lindsey Graham and the other nine senators uh, that were there uh, in Israel, that there wouldn't be a waffling. You know, the only thing that makes me nervous is uh, you hear White House spokespeople, State Department spokespeople saying, well, we still don't really have the smoking gun that says that Iran gave Hamas the order 
to go ahead and do this. Right. Mm-hmm. Where'd they get the missiles? Where'd they get the technology? Where'd they get the intelligence? It was a very Where, sophisticated attack. Yeah, very sophisticated. You know, where did uh, Hezbollah get their 250,000 missiles? Um, where'd they get their anti-tank me- weapons? Mm-hmm. Uh, there you go. Uh, at, so, <clears throat> At the very least, Iran needs to be immediately disarmed of any nuclear potential, any future nuclear capabilities. Yeah. At the very least. Yeah. And but once again, Russia would probably have a say in that. Mm. Yeah. I personally think looking at Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Gog and Magog invasion, Mm. uh, you know, as we said, you know, it's our take. Other people differ uh, that, uh, you know, this uh, particular prophecy uh, will be fulfilled in the Great Tribulation period. We believe it's going to be the double cross of the Antichrist. Uh, that that takes peace from the world, and from that time mm. onward, it's Katie bar the door till the Lord comes back. Because there's that three and a half years of false peace. Right, right. So, um, you know, I believe that that's when that is going to happen. But in order for that to happen, you still got to have a Russia, you still got to have a Turkey, you still have to have the Central Asiatic Muslim republics, you still got to have Persia in some capacity joining in on this attack. Now, that's why I believe that things are going to transpire in such a way that Iran is not going to get a bomb. Because I think if they got a bomb, they would use it. Mm. And uh, it does seem in that prophecy that they are at the side of Russia, maybe goading part of the hooks in the jaws, if you will, that draws the Russian leader into this invasion of Israel when their defenses are down, right? When they're living at peace on all sides. That's why we think it's in that tribulation Mm -hmm. period where the Antichrist brings the false peace. But they've got to be around for that. You know, they're not going to be utterly destroyed. And they're not going to be supplanted by a regime that's going to be pro-Israel, right? They they still are going to have that as their agenda long term. And, And one of the things that you discover when you study Islam is they definitely are long term Mm-hmm. thinkers you know they're very patient in a lot of ways probably why they're pulling their hair out in tehran about hamas jumping the gun mm-hmm. on all of this uh and and messing up the, the whole attack so uh fascinating stuff and you know when you look at this my immediate reaction is who would want to be on the side of hamas and iran in all of this but you were telling me you saw some very interesting poll results right before airtime yeah it was <clears throat> actually quite startling especially when as you describe the uh, just the heinousness, the the gratuitous evil of this attack on October seventh, what took place, it's as if people are just ignoring that that happened. And so I was listening to one of my favorite podcasters, one of the many, and uh, they quoted a poll from Harvard Center for American Political Studies and Harris Insights and Analytics. You can go to their website, Harris HarvardHarrisPoll.com. Uh, and they said that <clears throat> when it comes to the American public, over 65s, 91% said that Hamas was not justified in its October 7th attack. But here's the startling information. <clears throat> when, you, when they looked at the younger Americans, 25 to 34 age group, 48% said that Hamas was justified in its attack for almost half. Even worse, the, wow. the younger 18 to 24 age group said that 51% said Hamas was justified 
in its October 7th attack. That means the beheadings, the burnings alive, all that was justified. And here's what's even more frightening of the moral state of, of the American conscience, consciousness. 62% of that same age group, the 18 to 24 age group, said that what Hamas did was genocidal. So you have 62% saying, yeah, it's genocidal. And then 51% are saying, and it's justified. It's a good idea. That just blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Of and how much and, we've declined morally. And, <laughs> and even spiritually, you know, one of the most fascinating phenomena that I've seen, especially on our Twitter feed, and, you know, you get all kinds of posts and the algorithm throws things at you from people that the algorithm thinks you would like. I don't know why the algorithm thinks that I'd like some of these posts that come my way. But there's a rising tide of acceptance among even Bible-believing Christians, something called replacement theology mm. that states that God is completely done with the nation of Israel, that modern Israel has no uh, implications whatsoever in God's prophetic plan, uh, that uh, all of the promises that God made in the Bible have now been spiritualized and given to the church, even the Old Testament ones. And uh, personally, uh, I don't see how you could read the book of Romans chapters 9 through 11 and come to that particular conclusion, but it does seem to be a rising tide. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the idea that, uh, yeah, this is genocidal, but still justified you know yeah, and those I mean, same kinds of individuals are just relegating this entire thing to us oh, it's a territorial dispute that's what i mean why do we care and i've listened to some of these uh christians who have that opinion and they go why do we care about what's going on over there i mean just in the last couple days what you know that doesn't have any god's promises have been passed on to the church those exact words and i was just um i was shocked to hear this individual uh say that a pretty huge youtuber yeah and, uh, i just thought how what yeah even if you had even if you were an atheist you know if we live in a world today where the most marginalized groups have to be protected right talk about marginalized they're the sliver of a country in surrounded by islamic arabs yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i i wish we could bring up the graphic to show people maybe you can find it online but uh there there are maps that show the muslim world in contrast to Israel. They'll, you know, they'll show you the Islamic world covering uh, all of North Africa, huge parts of Asia, and then this little tiny, teeny red sliver that we call Israel. And uh, you're like, oh, you know, people need a homeland. Well, plenty of places to choose from, right? But, uh, you know, even if you were to concede this er erroneous notion, I think, uh, that flies in the face of uh, the clear teaching of the Bible that uh, that somehow uh, the the promises of God have been passed on to the church, right? Well, wait a minute. We're the church. We're God's people. I seem to recall Jesus saying something about when you fail to do it for the least of these, you fail to do it for me. That we have compassion, and uh, we are to to weep with those who weep and and rejoice with those who rejoice that we're supposed to have uh, a sense of investment especially in people who are being harmed and hurting um i, I just don't see how that fits into it you know one of the uh, things that uh, amir on uh, his uh, prophecy update by the way uh 
go on YouTube. Uh, Amir has, I think it's about an hour and 10 minutes of uh, updates about what's going on in Israel right now. And uh, I think uh, it would definitely be uh, something to be an eye-opener for you all. He's got some really interesting, about halfway through, he kind of pauses and he goes, oh, we've got um, F-16s going over our house right now. I have to hold on for just a second. And who knows where they're going? Uh, he tends to, he lives up in the Galilee uh, area. So uh, very interesting uh, uh, deal to go through. And But uh, one of the things he said that, that really hit me was uh, when the IDF was showing you know, the foreign press uh, the data that they got, it wasn't just the IDF coming in and, and photographing things in the aftermath, although that was part of it. Uh, one of the things that really was a gross miscalculation on the part of Hamas was they wanted to brag about what they were doing. And so they would video the atrocities that they themselves were perpetrating against the Jews. And the IDF and the Mossad have been able to intercept these things, uh, just cell phones over the air, the internet, uh, and show you what these people were bragging about. In one situation, and I'll just share this because it's one of the less heinous ones. I mean, I could tell you some of the ones that I saw, and I don't think I'll ever get those images out of my, my brain after seeing that. But uh, they showed this one Hamas terrorist who was being filmed by another Hamas terrorist after slaughtering a Jewish family. He's got a cell phone in his hand, and you can see that there's still blood on the cell phone. He calls his mother in Gaza City and tells his mother that he has personally killed 10 Jews in this house and in this neighborhood. And he laughs and he says, yes, the last woman I killed, this is her cell phone I'm talking on right now. And the mom's response, God be with you, son. Hmm. It's a different world. People don't really comprehend how different the worldview is. I remember listening to an Israeli soldier, not recently, but in the similar situation where Israel's having to go in, <clears throat> take out strategic military targets, which are being hidden under civilian infrastructure. Right. <clears throat> pleading with this father to save his children. Please, there's going to be a we're going to take out the building. We know what's down there. Get out. Save you and your family and your children. Do it for your children. Don't you want to save your children? And he says, no, I'd rather them die. And they have this slogan that we love death more than you love life. Right, because of that hope <laughs> of heaven. That's the only way you can be sure that you're going to go to Muslim heaven. This Palestinian yeah. said, I would rather my, die, my daughter die. Yeah, and the other thing is in a Hadith, uh, we're told that uh, if you die in collateral damage mm -hmm. in a battle, that counts as dying in jihad. <clears throat> so these individuals are like, well, you know, I can make sure that my, my I get to heaven and my family gets to heaven if we do. And by the way, uh, the before airtime, uh, the IDF has identified uh, that uh, one of the main Muslim or Hamas command and control uh, facilities has been moved to a hos another hospital site inside Gaza City. And rather than letting the people go to the south uh, outside of Gaza City, as Israel has told them to do, Hamas has instead amassed 30,000 civilians to line the outside of this mm -hmm. hospital facility 
because they know sooner or later Israel's going to have to take it out. Even those Palestinians who have, those Arab Palestinians who have U.S. citizenship, they will not let them leave. Right. They will not let them leave. Right. Because they need the human shield. They need the narrative to continue to be as it is, where people are becoming more and more pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian, and thinking this false narrative. And here's that map that you were mentioning. This is a map of all the terrorist organizations that surround Israel, from Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic State of Iraq, Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah. <laughs> and that little, the, the red is all the ter- all the nations that have terrorist organizations. These are all Active terrorist organizations. Islamic yeah. countries, and that tiny little blue speck on the center of the map is Israel. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's the situation. Talk about... Uh, protecting the weak. Not that Israel's weak, but, you know, they are very, very tiny. Yeah, and the other thing uh, that I wanted to mention as far as uh, events go, there have been people say, well, you know, uh, certain uh, leaders in Islam, uh, Islamic nations have said we will be willing to go in and mediate uh, a peace that is going on here. Well, first of all, um, a second holocaust in terms of uh, proportion, in terms of the brutality, and the heinousness, you're not going to see Hamas survive this, period. Um, really interesting uh, thing that Amir said before uh, airtimes, that we're a different nation than we were before mm. October 7th. Mm. And what has been communicated through Russian channels to uh, the mullahs in Iran is this, is if Hezbollah attacks Israel from Lebanon, Israel has promised them that there is going to be an air, ground, and sea attack that is going to be scorched earth in its approach to Lebanon. From Beirut south, they will not leave any infrastructure left. Hmm. It is going to just be a complete and total wipeout of uh, of everything. And uh, unfortunately, uh, when these terrorists act, uh, there are... uh, innocent civilians that get involved with this. The interesting thing that Amir said was uh, even in Lebanon, um, remember Hezbollah is really palsy-wowsy with Iran because they're both the part of the same sect of Islam. They're both Shiites. But the Shiites uh, in Lebanon are a minority. Mm-hmm. You know, like around <clears throat> 35% are Shiites. The problem is they're all members of Hezbollah and Hezbollah is the one that is equipped and, and financed and, and uh, trained by Iran. They, they've got all the weapons, so everybody kind of, okay, you guys are running the show. But if Israel comes in and breaks their power, understand the other, like, 35% in, in Lebanon are Sunni Muslims who hate Shiite Muslims. And if the power of Hezbollah is broken there, the Shiites are probably going to come in and wipe out the remaining, uh, or I should say the Sunnis will come in and, and wipe out the remaining Shiite Muslims. Hmm. And, uh, you know, again, there's also uh, a Christian sect in yeah. Lebanon In fact, the as well. government has to have those three branches. Uh, it was sort of instituted as a religious free state. I toured there extensively in 2007 after the 2006 conflict, and you know, there were still tanks everywhere. I remember doing one of my programs in a school for school teachers, and right outside the window was a live tank 
just guy just sitting there and i thought wow i'm doing a show and there's a tank outside of a school yeah <laughs> it's just such an experience but uh, uh real quick question psalm 83 that scenario how does that relate to the daniel 70th week in the last days is there a connection between that and gog and magog you know uh, you know and, and it's an important distinction to make because the the 10 nations or people groups that are mentioned there uh tribal groups like uh, edom and Moab and uh, Gebal and Amalek and these these sort of things, uh, you know, they're fairly uh, small and isolated groups on a global scale, uh, joining together and being a coalition. Especially if Turkey and Lebanon get involved with it and Iran, you know, it's going to have some heft behind it. But uh, the the Gog and Magog invasion, uh, you know, the nations that are described there are very different than the ones described in Psalm 83. Now, we don't know if Psalm 83 is going to happen during the tribulation period or before. Mm -hmm. uh, the destruction of Damascus, we've mentioned that if Hezbollah gets involved, a massive strike, Israel has communicated to uh, Bashar al-Assad and uh, the Iranians that they're going to destroy Damascus. Well, Isaiah 17 speaks about the destruction of Damascus. Mm -hmm. Is that going to happen before or after the beginning of the tribulation? We don't know. Mm -hmm. All we know is that it's going to happen, and when you see these things begin to take place, um, you know, we need to pay attention on a horizontal level, but even more, Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up, for your salvation draws near. Well, come to the end of it, haven't we? Yeah, wow. Well, it's still great content. A um, lot to think through. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back here again tomorrow, same place, same time. And we will get to those questions we missed today. But thank you for tuning in. God bless you. Thank You've you, Pastor listening Scott. to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.